You guys probably don't know this about me, but when I was young, I was super into hockey. I know, right? Now, for a, for a Texas boy to be into hockey, that's kind of, a, kind of a strange deal. But my dad, he was super into hockey. We used to watch the Dallas Stars. Used to be... Too soon. Woo! I got a little spicy. I'm sorry, the ex-Minnesota North Stars. We used to watch them on TV all the time. Had such a, a great time. My brother and I, we used to play hockey. My dad bought us a little net, you know, and, and my brother would always be goalie, and I would always be the offensive player trying to score, you know what I mean? One Christmas, my dad actually bought my brother some of those big, like, leg pads, you know, and like a, like a goalie stick. It didn't really help my brother a whole lot. But... It was cool, right? I used, to, I used to love it. We would spend hours on rollerblades, playing hockey together, my brother and I. One time, my dad actually offered for my brother and me to try out for our local hockey team in Amarillo, Texas. We had about 200,000 people that lived in my hometown. And he was like, yes, if you want to, I will let you. You do the skating, the shooting. It was cold. I mean, it was freezing. It was like 46 degrees. <laughs> We're taking all kinds of shots today, man. So we tried out. My brother and I both made different teams, and we were going to get our gear. You know, they give you, like, the sheet of all the stuff you got to get. My brother and I and my dad, we're all going to the store, and we're going to get our gear. And it's like, wow, we're really going to do this thing, you know? So we're walking into the store. And my brother and I, we start horsing around. You know what I mean when I say horsing around? That might be a Texas term. But we're like messing with each other. And so my dad, which is a parent, I'm telling you, this is the right choice to do. He turns around and says, we're done. He had warned us a bunch of times, like, you got to cut it out. We're not going to do this. If you don't cut it out, you're not going to play. You're not going to play. But we didn't ever stop. And because of the way that we misbehaved, we missed out on playing hockey. I know, right? I mean, I probably would have been in the NHL. Let's be real. <laughs> uh, it's a group therapy session for Jeff today. <laughs> so we missed out because of the way we behaved. Does that ever happen to any of you? Like you do something... And then because of your actions, you end up missing out. FOMO, we talked about that a couple weeks ago, fear of missing out. That's a real diagnosable disease in our social media culture, isn't it? Because you see, our actions, the way that we interact with the world, it matters. The way that we choose to engage others, the way that we engage God. And today, we're looking at a story of a couple of different groups of people, most of whom missed out on seeing the Messiah because of the way that they engaged the world, because of the way they engaged one another. And there was one group that had a particular character trait that we're going to look at that actually had the chance, although they should not necessarily have, to see Jesus, to get to meet the King of kings and the Lord of lords. 
Today we're continuing in our series called Christmas People. As Tom mentioned, we are looking at the people surrounding the coming of Jesus, surrounding the Advent, as they call it. So we, we see these people oftentimes in nativities. We've got the, you know, the nativity set sitting in your house, and you've got the shepherds and the magi and Mary and Jesus and Joseph and animals and all kinds of crazy cool stuff. But what is the real reality of what occurred in this context? Who were these people? And what do we learn about the nature of God and about ourselves from these individuals? Last week, we looked specifically at the shepherds. And we noted that the shepherds were probably the most unexpected people to be the first ones to hear about Jesus. Because although you might not realize this, they probably hadn't brushed their teeth in a little bit. I know, but it's true. They hadn't showered more than likely in a while. They were living with their animals. And yet, it was these individuals that God called to be the very first heralds of Jesus. How unexpected of God to use them. Today we're looking at another group called the Magi. This mysterious, curious group of individuals from far in the east. And we're going to see how God used them. How God used their curiosity to draw them in to see the Messiah. When the very people that should have been curious, been seeking Jesus, missed out. So if you've got your Bibles, why don't you grab them? We're going to be in Matthew chapter 2. As you're turning, I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we're going to dig right in. Father God, thank you so much for this day. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to study you, to learn more about you, about what you want to do in the world. Lord, I pray that you would open up our minds, that you would allow us to see more of the beauty of this story. I pray, God, that you would cause us to be curious Lord, that we might not miss out on the things that you want to do in our lives and in this world. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. We're going to read starting Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who, might, who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they, heard, after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child and his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, 
they returned to their country by another route. So this is likely a familiar story for us, particularly those of us that have been in church, you, uh, particularly around this time of year as well. You probably have heard the story of these magi. And so just to summarize what's happened here, this group of foreign travelers has come to this guy named Herod and said, hey, you're a king. We heard that there was a new one, and we followed this light in the sky, and it led us to you. So then Herod, he's like, wait a minute. This is strange. I haven't had any sons lately. I don't know who you're talking about. So he goes to the religious leaders of the Jewish people and says, hey, tell me about this. And they say, hey, in Bethlehem, this town that's five or six miles away from where you're at, that's the location. That's where the king is supposed to come from. And so Herod, he tells the Magi, I want you to go there. I want you to find out. And I want you to tell him so I can come worship him too. The Magi then, they go, they find Jesus, they worship him, they give gifts to him, and then they go home by a different route, having been warned by an angel. There's a lot of stuff going on in this story. But most powerfully in this story is that of the three different groups of people that we see, we see King Herod, we see the religious leaders, and we see the Magi, the very people that we would expect to have met the Messiah, ended up missing out. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at each of these three sets of people, try to understand and unpack a little bit about why it was that they missed out on Jesus. So we're going to start with King Herod. Here's a picture of King Herod. I'm sure that's a close representation. <laughs> he kind of looks mean, doesn't he? It's like, ugh. I shouldn't, I shouldn't say that. So King Herod was the ruler of Judah during the time of Jesus' birth. Now he was called a king, and usually when we use the term king, we think of what might be more um, accurately depicted as a sovereign king, a king that has full authority and rulership over the area for which he's been given authority, right? Like I think about, I have four kids, all of them are 10 years old or younger. When I think of a king, I think of the greatest Disney movie ever, The Lion King. Anybody else? Anybody? One, two, I'm counting all of y'all. I see you back there. The Lion King, right? Great movie. There's a moment in this movie where the king at the beginning of the story, his name is Mufasa, he's this big, glorious lion, James Earl Jones, you know, like he says, all the land that the light touches is our kingdom. That's a terrible impression of James Earl Jones, by the way. <laughs> it is. But what he says is everything that you see is under our control. And he's talking to his young son, the prince, Simba. And a lot of times that's the way I think we consider kingship is we say a king has complete authority to do whatever it is they want in a given location at a given time. But that's not the way King Herod was. You see, King Herod was an appointed king under the authority of the Roman Empire. So while he had some power, he only had the power to exercise his authority within the greater authority of the Romans. If he did something that they didn't like, they would squash him. Now, King Herod was one of the few that was actually titled as king. So you can almost kind of see in the way he called himself 
a little bit about his personality. He was all about Herod. Like nobody else in his, exist, in his worldview, nobody else mattered. It was all about what he wanted. And if anybody else wanted anything else, he would do whatever it took to have his way. He was not a good dude. Warren Wearsby, great Christian theologian, says this as it relates to Herod. Herod was a cruel and crafty man who permitted no one, not even his own family, to intervene with his rule or prevent the satisfying of his evil desires. A ruthless murderer, he had his own wife and her two brothers slain because he suspected them of treason. He was married at least nine times in order to fulfill his lusts and to strengthen his political ties. Like, this is not a good dude. Like, you're not going to want to bring this guy home. Like, ladies, if you're not married yet, avoid Herod. Herod operated out of fear in this story. You see, what happened is these magi, they come, and his visceral response is, there is no king but Herod. There's no Messiah. It's only about me, only about what I want to do, only about how I see the world. And rather than embracing the rightful Jewish king, Jesus Christ, he rejected him. In fact, a little bit later on in the story, he massacres every two-year-old or younger boy in Bethlehem, slays all of them out of fear that the Messiah would come and usurp his authority. Fear's a big deal, guys. I believe that a big reason that we miss out on God's best in our life is fear, particularly fear of loss. God, I, man, I just love this thing so much, and I'm so scared that if I really follow you, you're going to take it from me. How could you take my job from me? How could you take these things that I love, my hobbies? How could, I, I just love to, to drink and party. And this, how could you take that from me? And out of fear, we miss out on the Messiah So where are you at today with that, with your fear? Are you seeing God for who he is? Are you chasing the Messiah? Are you chasing Jesus? Or are you stuck, afraid that you might lose something? Afraid that you might be exposed for who you are? Being exposed is a good thing, actually. When we're exposed, when the rottenness of our core is seen, a beautiful thing happens called healing. I want to encourage you today, don't let fear be what holds you back from the Messiah. Herod gave in to fear and missed the Messiah. Now let's look at the next group here, the religious leaders. Good picture there. Better than the first one, I think. The religious leaders in this story, Herod calls them in and says, hey, tell me information. Tell me where the Messiah is supposed to be born. And they quote a section of Scripture from the Old Testament in the book of Micah that says that the Messiah is to be born in this town called Bethlehem. But then this really crazy thing happens with them. Did you catch it? 
nothing. Isn't that weird? That in the context of the Messiah, the greatest superhero, king, ruler, manliest man, womanliest woman, I mean, he's not a woman, but like the most amazing person you could ever imagine has come and the very people that are supposed to be the leaders around him are absent. What's going on? I think for us to understand this a little bit more effectively, we need to understand particularly the political climate going around in first century Judaism, in first century Israel. You see, primarily, there were two groups of religious, political leaders in the days of Jesus. On the one side, there are this group called the Pharisees. The Pharisees are the let's make Israel great again party, right? They're the conservative group. They're the group that says, hey, way back in the day, we used to have this great kingdom. And this kingdom, man, it was, it was prosperous and it was powerful and, and God was with us. But we lost it. And so the Pharisees, the right way to live in their mind was to try to bring that back. Let's look at this law, at the rules that God's given us, and let's follow it to such a degree that God could never call us impure. That he could never say that we've missed it again. And not only was that the way they wanted to live, they wanted everybody else to live that way too. So if you worked on the wrong day, they would condemn you. If you ate the wrong thing, they would condemn you. And this hubris built in them, this pride that they knew the right way in which to live. That's the one side. On the other side, you had what's called the Sadducees. You see, for years and years and years, the Israelite people, they had been under the control of foreign governments, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and the longest period was under the Greeks. Now, the Greeks, one of their primary goals was to make the whole world really Greek-ish. That's called Hellenistic. And so this idea was, if we can make the entire world Hellenistic, it would be safer, it would be more prosperous, it would be better, because the Greek way of thinking is just right according to the Greeks. The Sadducees, they bought into this. And they said, no, 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 no. We don't need to make Israel great again. We need to go forward. We need to get with the times. We need to be more modern. We need to be Hellenistic in the way that we view the world. And so in Jesus' day, these two parties were fiercely attacking one another. In addition to that, you've got people like Herod, this king we just talked about, who's trying to do his own political thing. And then you've got the Romans doing their own political thing. And it's just a big jumbly mess. Does it sound like anything that you guys are familiar with? Anybody? You see, the religious leaders, they were so caught up in their own pride and in their own distractedness that they missed the Messiah too. Now what about for us? We're in the, in the heat of this political season, right? We've got things like impeachments and, and upcoming elections and, and, and all of this stuff happening in our world. And I fear sometimes 
that we might be distracted by that as well. Now, I want to make something really, really clear. Really crystal clear. Politics are important. Politics are important. But Jesus is always more important than politics. Always. And when politics cause us to run away from godly principles, to run away from what is most primary, which is loving God first, loving others second. Politics is down on that list, church. And so as you're engaging the political season, and no, I'm not going to tell you who I'm voting for, so don't even ask. As you're engaging this season, are you so overwhelmed by it that it's making you angry all the time? Is politics the only thing you're thinking about? Because it shouldn't be. Yes, it should be important. Yes, I think it is important. But we might miss the Messiah if we are too focused on politics. That's what happened with the religious leaders. They didn't even show up. They didn't even try to go because they were so filled with pride and so distracted. Thankfully, these aren't the only two people in the story. Otherwise, everybody would have missed it. Let's talk about this last group, the Magi. The Magi were the only ones in this account that got it right. So the Magi, this is a group of individuals, of, of scholarly, intellectual scientists, some people have considered them to be like kings, right? We talk about the kings of Orient, right? These are individuals who would have gone about 1,000 to 1,500 miles to see this guy. A long way. It would have taken them at least a month each direction just to get there. Now, I have some friends who are missionaries. They're missionaries like way, way, way out in the bush in Indonesia. I mean like tribal people, like no language, like barely wearing clothes, like that kind of like way out there. And you know how long it takes to get there? It takes 36 hours and that's it. It took them over a month each way. And they came, and they came for the purpose of worship, to see the Messiah, to know him. They brought their best, and out of curiosity, they met the Messiah. Curiosity is such a curious thing, isn't it? Like, I think we, we look at curiosity, and we're like, oh, that's just child stuff. Like, that's what kids do when they get into trouble, right? When they stick knives into electrical outlets, or maybe that's only what I did. Right? But curiosity is such an important, formative thing for us as human beings. And part of the reason is because when God created us, he created us to be a people on a journey, not people that just find ourselves in a place that stay. So here's what I mean. I've been married to my wife for 12 years now. There is not an end point in mind for our marriage. Like, it's not like when we're like, oh, we hit 25, I guess we're done now. Like, that's just not the way that life works. 
One day is a, is a hard day, and then one day is a good day, and, and then you learn from both of those things, and then you know, maybe the hard days aren't as hard anymore, and maybe the, the good days are even better, and that's the way relationships go. They ebb and they flow, and they move toward something. They move toward God, but it's the journey, not the destination. And curiosity is a piece of that. Curiosity saying, ooh, I want to know more. Teach me. Help me understand. Let me explore. Let me see. Let me be a part of whatever that might be. And the same is true in our followership of God. Just because you have said yes, just because you have prayed the prayer and made the decision and said, I belong to the Lord, it does not mean you have arrived. And part of the joy of this life is that we get to know God more here. We get to journey with him. We get to see him differently. I see God so differently today than I did a year ago, than I did five years ago. And I expect, I hope, that I see him differently tomorrow and next year and 10 years and 20 years from now. In fact, I actually believe that that's something we have to look forward to. Those of us who belong to Jesus, that's what we have to look forward to in heaven. Like we have this picture of heaven like fat babies playing harps on clouds. That does not sound appealing. But the idea of an ever-creating God constantly blowing our minds over and over again with the joy and the beauty and the satisfaction that only comes from him, man, I can get on board with that. Curiosity is such a key component to our lives, to us following God well. And so the challenge for us today is to stay curious, to not allow curiosity to only be child's play, but rather to lean into it, to press into it in our followership of God. Now what that doesn't necessarily mean, okay, is that you've got to chase every weird random thing. Like these magi, it wasn't that they only necessarily saw a star and just said, oh, I'm going to drop everything and run toward it. Most scholars agree that in Persia, where they came from, there was a Jewish school that taught the Jewish scriptures. And that as they learned, they, they were able to see the truth. They were expecting the truth. And so when they left, when they chose to chase after the star, it was with purpose. It was with direction. But it was in the sense of, Lord, teach me. Grow me. Don't let me be the same. Make me different. Help me to investigate and find truth. And so for us, the challenge is to stay curious. Now what does that look like? There's a lot you could say about curiosity. There's two things that I want us to really lean into as it relates to this story, what the Magi did. The first thing is that we need to investigate Jesus. We need to investigate Jesus. Now again, as I mentioned, for those of us that have said yes, we are at a particular point. We've stepped into life, but it doesn't mean we're there yet. You might have some really, really challenging questions, maybe even some doubts, right? At Gateway Church, we love questions. Like, bring them. Why is there suffering in the world? Let's talk about it. Why is it that bad things happen? Let's talk about that. How can you be sure that, that the Jesus of the Bible is the real Jesus? How can you be, 
You know what I mean? Like these are good questions. Let's dialogue. Let's dig in. Because in the searching, God does some great stuff, man. He shows us who he is. He reveals himself to us in the context of the questions. Doesn't mean we're going to have all the answers, but it means that the questions will help us to grow. Jeremiah 29, 13 says this. I love this verse. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. The journey is where the joy is. And if we want to see the Messiah, we want to meet him, part of that is investigating Jesus always. The second thing is this, that we need to give of ourselves. The Magi in this story, verse 11 Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Part of curiosity is investing. It's pushing yourself into it. It's saying, yes, Lord, I am in. And absolutely, what I mean here most certainly includes financial giving to Gateway Church. We cannot keep our doors open without it. We are at the end of our fiscal year Most churches, including us, run a deficit this time of year. We're about $40,000 behind where we would like to be. We got to lean in in that way. But it's more than that, too. You see, if it's just writing a check, that's not enough. It's the journey. It's giving of yourself. It's serving. It's being a part. And so my challenge for you is twofold. One, if you're not giving of your resources to Gateway Church, I want to challenge you to try it. Now look, it, it doesn't mean that if you throw a 10 spot in the bucket that God's going like, to give you a 10 spot back. But he will absolutely bless you beyond comparison when you give. He will give you satisfaction and joy. And sometimes he does replace 10 for 10 or give you more than what you put in. But in terms of satisfaction and joy, He will give you more than you could ever imagine. But in addition to that, if you're not serving, if you're not a part of what Gateway has going on, I want to challenge you to do that. Get into a life group. Lead a life group. We need people that are willing to step out and lead. We need volunteers on Sunday morning. We need volunteers for other ministry opportunities, for our youth group that meets on Wednesdays, for our kids' program. Katie Utke is doing an unbelievable job pouring into the next generation right there. And she needs more people. We need more people. So part of this giving of ourselves is laying ourselves on the line, putting our agenda to the side and serving. We have this great opportunity to to be God's people, to meet the Messiah. And when we Press hard into curiosity, man. God does some really cool stuff. And so stay curious. Be a, let's be a curious community of faith. A group of people that just seek God, that chase after him, that investigate him, that know or seek to know him better, and that are willing to pour ourselves out for him. So wherever you're at, man, take that next step. We're getting right to Christmas. Like, let's do this. Let's be magi so that God might do amazing things in our midst. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. 
God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for this truth that you desire for us to be curious. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us all on a journey. Lord, wherever we're at, we're all on a journey. And I'm thankful for that. Lord, I pray that um, where we need to be challenged, you would challenge us. Where we need to be irritated, that you would irritate us. Lord, but I pray that we would take a step, that we would take another pace on the journey of walking with you. And Lord, I pray that you would meet us and fill us with your spirit. Fill us with your wisdom. Lord, I pray for everyone who is here, God, for the the connections that we have outside of Gateway Church. Lord, I pray that the gospel would go out in our midst, Lord, the good news of what Jesus has done. Thank you, Lord, for sending him. Lord, we love you. We commit ourselves to you this, this afternoon. In Jesus' name, amen.